Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 279, Publishing Roundtable with Kevin J. Anderson, David Farlin, and Doug Dandridge. This episode is brought to you by Mission, Flight to Mars, the new novel by V.A. Jeffrey. The Mission series is a space opera series based 150 years in the future. Robert Astor is a mild-mannered, unassuming quality assurance agent whose life gets turned upside down when he stumbles on an interstellar plot that puts all human life on Earth in jeopardy. So basically, if you enjoyed Burroughs' Barsoom series and the Star Wars Expanded Universe books and the humor of Jim Butcher's Dresden Files, you'll probably enjoy the Mission series. Flight to Mars is book one, and you can learn more by coming to adventuresandsci-fi-publishing.com and clicking on the image that you will see on the homepage for Mission, Flight to Mars, by V.A. Jeffrey. Now, on to the show. It's basically about the business of writing, and they tell you the stuff they wish that someone had told them when they got started as writers. You know, somebody can be a successful marketer and not necessarily provide a quality product. I'm going to let Moses go because he's frothing at the mouth to talk about this one. (laughs) (laughs) I like writing. I like reading. I like to immerse myself in books. That seems like a pretty good career choice. Oh, you sound terrible. What happened? I'm just kidding. Oh, man. (laughs) And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, adventures in sci-fi public sci-fi. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction fantasy literature. This is Sean Farrell. This is Moses Siragar. And today we are excited to talk publishing and nanorama, rama, I can't even say this right, <laughs> with our, uh, our special guest panel. So gentlemen, if you could please tell the listeners who you are, uh, a little bit about uh, maybe your latest book, oh, except Kevin, we have to limit you to like four. In fact, <laughs> Kevin, let's go ahead and start with you, Kevin, uh, if you could introduce yourself, please. Uh, this is Kevin J. Anderson. Um, I do a lot of writing and also publishing, so I guess I can talk about writing and publishing in the in the new world. We've got Wordfire Press as my publishing house, uh, and we have just published a lot of writing books, including some by uh, one of our other guests, David Farland. Uh, my most recent novel is a book called Slimy Underbelly. It's a funny mystery with Dan Shamble's zombie P.I. and also a series called The Dark Between the Stars, a, a huge science fiction epic that I just released from Tor. And your P.I. series, that's published by who? By Kensington, Zombie P.I. Okay. And David? Okay, I'm David Farland, also known as Dave Wolverton. I'm um, a writer and uh, have been doing that for a long time. Uh, my latest book is uh, Nightingale, which won uh, a few awards for uh, uh, Best Young Adult Novel of the Year, kind of primarily. And uh, that's good for him right now. <laughs> and we also have Doug on the line. Hey, um, I'm probably the most unknown of the group. I am an um, independent author. Um, Mostly sell on Amazon, science fiction and fantasy. I have a one series right now that has had five consecutive books hit number one in the UK for space opera and top five in the US. And I sold my hundred thousandth book on September thirteenth of this year. 
Congratulations. Congratulations. Very cool. Yeah. Well, guys, I was inspired uh, to put this panel together by a couple of different things. Uh, as 2014 comes to a close, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the current state of publishing, especially with NaNoWriMo upon us. And NaNoWriMo, uh, the story bundle that was put out there was part of what brought this about to me. And Kevin, that was you that put that bundle together. Is that correct? Right. Um, there's, we should probably give a little bit of background on what a bundle is. A bundle oh, is, well, it's what, I guess it, it's kind of obvious what it is, but a bunch of independent authors basically throw their books into this bundle. And uh, in fact, in the NaNoWriMo one, we have 12 writing books uh, about craft of writing, about productivity, about the business of writing, uh, about writing for TV, writing for um, uh, how to how to act as at a book signing, all kinds of things that you need. It's kind of like a toolkit of all these different titles. But anyway, what they do is the authors put all their all their books together, and you, the customer, can just go on there and as long as you pay a certain minimum price, I think it's fourteen bucks, fifteen bucks. You get all 12 books. Or if you're generous, you can pay more. It's uh, you pay what you want, like a price line sort of thing. Uh, if you only want to pay a minimal, like five, five bucks, you get half of the books, the basic bundle. Or if you pay 15, you get all 12 of them. But you're getting 12 books for 15 bucks, and a part of that money goes to charity. But here's, here's how it all works, especially for us. These are all independently published books. These aren't books done from bantam or simon and schuster or the the big guys these are books that we ourselves published and that means that the money goes right into the author's pocket so if you are supporter of indie authors and people who are um you know doing it themselves and and struggling to pay their kleenexes and toilet paper bills and stuff you'll know that when you're you're pitching in some money for this bundle uh, a big chunk of it goes directly to the authors, another chunk goes to charity. And it's it's storybundle.com. I've got to make sure we do that. Just one word, storybundle.com. And right now they have this one for National Novel Writing Month. That's why we have the 12 writing books. But there's right now also a uh, urban fantasy bundle that has a novel by me. It's got uh, David Farland's Nightingale that he was just mentioning. It's got a new collection of uh, Harry Dresden stories by Jim Butcher and all of those. You can get whatever you want, all the whole batch of them, and just pay what you feel like above five bucks or some minimum. So it's a cool experimental thing that uh, I've done several of them and it's they've been quite successful. We're very happy to have an entirely new way of, of selling books. Yeah, it's uh, storybundle.com forward slash nano, N-A-N-O. We'll take you right to the one with, uh, you know, we've got uh, Million Dollar Outlines from Dave. There's, uh, let's see, Shadows Beneath from the, the Writing Excuses guys. Um, I started with uh, 21 Days to a Novel by Michael Stackpole. is actually literally the thing that started me when I first started writing novels. And uh, Chris Rush and Dean Smith and a lot of good, good people on here. So Chuck, there's a lot of good stuff there. Chuck okay. Wendy's on there. Uh, Steve Sears, who's the producer for uh, Xena Warrior Princess, has a big book on how to break into writing for TV. Um, Rebecca Mesta, my wife and I, have Million Dollar Professionalism, which is a, a lecture we've been given for 10 years about how to take your career seriously. And um, Dean Wesley Smith basically shatters the sacred cows of publishing. And, and, and David Farland, he's got a craft book, Drawing on the Power of Resonance and Writing, 
And he's also got this great one about million-dollar outlines and, and how to structure your book and how to write something that lots of people want to read. So a lot of good stuff, and it's cheap. What more, what more can you say? <laughs> well, and what's interesting, and one of the things I want to talk about here is the group of authors you just mentioned are all folks who were established in traditional publishing. And so I want to look at this a little bit. And Doug, I know you got established through indie publishing. So you, you kind of shared your story a little bit in a recent kick through David Farland's uh, newsletter. By the way, everyone should mm-hmm. subscribe to the, the kicks because they're awesome. Uh, we'll put a link for that in there. If you're not, you can find it. But would you mind just taking a, a minute to tell us your story, uh, how you tried to get into publishing, what you ended up doing, and what's been working for you? Okay, I, I started writing, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is going out. Um, I started writing in 1996, um, seriously, and wrote a couple really bad novels that year. And then I started um, sending submissions to agents, and I got scammed by one that was advertising in Writer's Digest, so I avoided agents for about a decade after that. And I just sent them to the three publishers that would accept stuff I was writing, like... Uh, Bain, Tor, and Daw were the three at the time. And the rejection letters started getting better and better. Some of them, I've got several two-page rejection letters for one novel. But um, around 2010, someone was talking to me about this self-publishing thing. And I said, well, I'll try that. And so on December 31st, 2011, I put two books out on Amazon I sold about 40 books in eight months on Amazon and Smashwords, and I somehow figured out how to get people interested and started just really racking up the sales after that. So was there anything in particular that you did to, as a tipping point, or you you just got the right reviewers on there that showed it to their friends, or what? Well, what I, what I did is I, I took advantage of their giveaway program. Ah, okay. And I gave away the book. The, the one book I talked about is called The Deep Dark Well, that had the, the um, two-page rejection letters from Bain and Daw both. Um, and I gave away 4,100 of them in a five-day giveaway. Mm. And since sold over 5,000 of that book. Um, but then I did another couple giveaways. And I gave away a lot of books, but I didn't sell a lot of those books afterwards. And I came out with the Exodus series. And it just started selling from the first day. Mm. And I think a lot of the people that got the Deep Dark Well read it, and then went there. And then the reviews started coming in. And I figured once you get to about 50 reviews, that's the tipping point. Yep. Doug. And then, then they really start selling. My, my experience was a lot like yours, Doug. Um, I'm curious what you've found now, uh, how things have changed, what you notice in indie publishing. You know, are you still a fan of the, the giveaways, the freebies, and that kind of thing? Um, what do you notice as far as how things are changing and how, you're, how you need to market your work? I'm still a fan of the giveaways. Um, I did a giveaway at the end of April. I, was, I came out with book six of the Exodus series, and I started off with a giveaway on Friday and then came out with a new book on Sunday. And I gave away 4,900 of Exodus 1. Um, and then the next month, I sold 500 of every book in the series, including Exodus 1, which I just gave away 4,900 of. So, you know, it really pushed my sales. Um, and then the new book, of course, you know, was out and that really sold quickly. Um, I think there, what you need to do with um, freebies, and I think a mistake a lot of people make, is they just put the book free on Amazon and that's it. And you need to publicize that you're putting it out there for free, and there are lots of ways to do that. Right. 
And of course, the ironic thing is, it seems like uh, New York says no, you put out it yourself, a couple years later it does well, now New York wants it. Um, <laughs> Kevin and David, you guys started out, uh, I won't say a long time ago, I don't want to make you guys feel old, was but old. <laughs> I, I, was, I was reading you guys in junior high, so I'll just say that. <laughs> But uh, you're both have your feet in both ponds a little bit right now. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and trying to diversify your publishing portfolio, if you will. I'll let Dave take that one first because he hasn't been talking much. Okay. Well, you know, I um, I find that uh, I I like traditional publishing, but there are certain books that you know just work better uh, coming out as an indie book. Uh, for example, with Nightingale. Um, I looked at the markets at that time, and I realized that publishers were only giving 15% of uh, ebook royalties, and that if they bought the book, that for 135 years I could be stuck uh, getting a 15% royalty on ebooks. And I just said I wasn't willing to take that book and do that. In fact, I'd I'd gone out to um, uh, to one of the best agents in the country, and she wanted to take the book and and send it out and put it up for auction. And I just said, you know, in today's climate, I don't think I want to do that. So I decided to go indie with it. So I put the book out and I'm working on the, on the rest of the series, but, um, you know, the book sales have, have been brisk. They've been good. Uh, I don't know exactly how much I've made. I haven't been keeping that close of a track, but, uh, but, you know, we did quite well with the book. And uh, like I say, it won half a dozen awards, including the the uh, Hollywood Book Festival Best Book of the Year, uh, won the uh, International Book Award for Best Young Adult Novel of the Year. So I believe in the book, but I believed in it so much that I decided I didn't want to go with a traditional publisher. Now, um, as I write the rest of the series, I may go ahead and take it out with a traditional publisher. Uh, but for the at that particular time, it just felt like the wrong decision. And of course, there's books uh, like the book in the book bundle that I've got, uh, my million dollar outlines. I put that book out, and I've I've probably gotten fifty emails in the last you know three or four months just saying that's the best book on writing I've ever seen. Period. Mm. Um, but I don't really feel like for a, a a nonfiction book that I need to have a publisher anymore. Um, I put that out on Amazon.com, mentioned it in my daily kick, and I hit number one on the uh, on Amazon.com for books on writing for the next eight months. You know, wow. Um, I didn't have to do anything, <laughs> so I didn't really need to go find a publisher, and I've made you know much better money with the book that way than um, than I would have if I had gone with the traditional publisher. I'll disagree entirely because Dave, you have a publisher. I'm your publisher, so yes, I did. I did. I did take that with Kevin now, and so Kevin's now my publisher. But I mean, I, ideally, I think that the indie market has a lot of opportunities. You know, you can you can decide what kind of book you want to write, and not worry too much about whether a major publisher is going to is going to go for the idea. I have a friend who um, who wrote a book uh, called Dare. It's a, a about a guy that uh, is a daredevil stunt car driver back in the 1970s. It's kind of like Gone with the Wind with uh, cars. 
we tried to get some publishers interested in it, and everybody said, well, nobody reads books about cars. People who love cars don't read, you know? And I'm sitting there going, yeah, there's 70 million NASCAR uh, fans. I'm sure that one or two of them probably read. Um, <laughs> you know, that would be the kind of book that you could say, let's go ahead and take it indie. And, and so there's, there's good reasons to have, have your feet in both, uh, in both ponds, I guess you'd say. I have a question for Kevin and, and Dave. Um, did, have you guys seen anything over the last year or six months, anything like that, that uh, tells you that traditional publishing is becoming more, uh, you know, a more attractive option? I mean, for the last four or five years, it seems like, you know, the indie option has become more and more viable for people. And that's kind of been the thing that's ascending, you know, but um, any any good news? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, the good news for me is I'm, I mean, I'm doing more and more of the indie stuff, and there's more control over it. But what what you have to realize as an indie author is you're going to have – it's a tortoise and hare thing. You're going to have a slow and steady um, sales, and they will keep going forever. What, what Doug Dandridge was saying a few minutes ago, that he had eight months with like 40 copies sold, and then it took off. If you had a traditionally published book that sold 40 copies in eight months, they would burn you in effigy and never talk to you again. <laughs> Um, but if you're in there for the long run, then it will then it will take off. The way I got started in doing a lot of these is I had a lot of my old books that had gone out of print that I had my rights back to that no traditional publisher wanted to reprint Resurrection Inc. or Game Earth or, or my original stuff that I had done. But I had a lot of fans out there who wanted to get it, and they keep writing me to say, I found a battered copy in a used bookstore, and they're so happy they get to read it. And so I, uh, one of my uh, writer friends, actually a student at Writers of the Future years and years ago, uh, Scott Nicholson, uh, talked me into just putting up some of my old books, my old backlist books, and he helped me format them and put them up. And we put Resurrection Inc. up, my first novel from 1988, and I only got paid $4,000 for it when a major publisher bought it, and it never earned its $4,000 back. And then we put this thing up on Amazon and do nothing. Just here it is listed on Amazon, and within a year or two, we've made like nine or $10,000 off of it. And we're like blinking our eyes thinking, whoa. And so we put up lots and lots of books that all generate a nice trickle of income so cumulatively it adds up but then I started having not just um, and I'm helping Dave out to get a lot of his other uh, novels and his writing books but I've got a bunch of Frank Herbert novels that uh, that the Frank Herbert estate said Kevin why don't you put them up and and Alan Drury the guy who wrote uh, Advice and Consent the Pulitzer Prize number one bestseller for 140 weeks we're publishing that book now because it was out of print and none of the regular publishers wanted it. And we've got Mike Resnick and Tracy Hickman just gave us a fantasy series of his. And um, we've got tons of these really cool books that are coming out, but they're just not the blockbuster thing that I think New York Publishing sort of has blinders on that unless they can get a supersized Happy Meal, they don't want the little one and that's what gives us opportunities as indie publishers now don't get me wrong if a traditional publisher says we love your new manuscript here's five million dollars for it i would run away from indie so fast <laughs> but but that's not what's happening is they're giving writers smaller and smaller advances so that 
if they're giving you a small advance and then keeping 75% of the money, and if you look at it and go, well, if I do it myself and I keep all of the money, there's a sweet spot there that if I only have to sell a tenth as many copies to make as many sales, will I sell a tenth as many copies? And then you keep the rights to it because right, if you sell a book right now, to a publisher, you will never, ever, 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 ever get your rights back to it because they'll put it in ebooks and they will never let it go out of print. Yeah, I think that the uh, market right now for the traditional publishing is is sad in a way. Um, here's here's what I see. I just read a report uh, about a week ago that said that uh, traditional sales fell by eight percent. Um, just on paper books as a whole last year. And that's a that's a huge number. What it means is that publishers who typically work on about an 8% profit margin uh, had flat returns last year. Uh, and that means that uh, if that happens over the next 10 years, there won't be major publishers in five years, okay? Uh, they'll They'll just keep going out. And so I think we're phasing over to electronic book publishing. I think that there are a lot of people who are like me who still like paper books. We're seeing that, for example, about 75% of the, the teenagers say that, they've, uh, that they would like to buy their next book in hardback. Uh, they'd like to see it in paper uh, rather than buying it in ebooks, even though about half of them have bought ebooks within the last year. So we're seeing this this kind of this trend where people are buying the ebooks, but they're resistant to it. They're they're still thinking about buying their books in paper, or they would like to buy their next book in paper. And we're seeing that um, that for example, there's a lot of new uh, uh, independent bookstores that are opening up, and they seem to be thriving. Uh, you know, with the with the uh, demise of some of the big chains. You know, with um, Barnes and Noble has kind of been a little bit wobbly lately, and uh, and we're seeing some of the other chains that are having troubles. So the little independent markets uh, seem to be doing pretty well. But that's really difficult for us as authors and for publishers too, because it's much harder to market to those little independent bookstores um, right. than it is to go to a big chain. So that makes it difficult. So I, I think overall, I love I love to write, and I would like to be able to focus most of my time on just writing. But if you're um, if you're out as an independent author and you've got to write and market and design your own book and worry about you know editing and all those kinds of things, it makes a lot more work for you. And so there's there's good things about being an indie, but it's also just a heck of a lot more work. Well, one thing that you also need to to at least grasp, and, and I think it was. Moses, no, it was Sean who was saying how how long Dave and I have been in the business. It's been a long time uh, after the printing press was invented. But uh, but you have to think about, look at us for our career. We were writing books. We became successful writers. We both had New York Times bestsellers, had huge fan followings, and we're now to the point where most people should be kicking back and resting on their laurels and thinking about the retirement home. Not I mean the not the old folks' home. I mean the place in Florida that you buy and go retire to. But all of a sudden, the business that that we were in 
went away. It's like we had invested all of our money in owning a chain of blockbuster video stores or uh, Sam Goody music stores that sold albums and CDs. And so this has happened in the entertainment market before. Books is just a little bit slower, but that's not something that I and probably not Dave ever really thought about 15 years ago when we were writing New York Times bestseller lists and had multiple book contracts and there just seemed no way that this career would go away. As long as we kept writing, we would have a good, set, stable income. But now I, I, I've told another writing friend that I felt like Doctor Who, that I've had to rejuvenate and, and re regenerate myself so many times and turn into a different type of writer and a different type of businessman. And that's what we're frantically doing now is um, expanding into indie publishing. Um, I'm, I'm doing the publishing work myself at, at Wordfire Press. Um, I'm still selling books to the big publishers, whether it's uh, Tor or Simon & Schuster or Kensington. But it's, it's now an all-of-the-above thing rather than writing one bestseller a year and making a living at it. Hey, Doug, as you're listening to this and you are having success starting off in the indie market, but like you said, you first started writing in 96, so you know, that's 18 years uh, that have gone by there. Do you, have, or do you have any interest in trying to get on with a traditional publisher, or are you sticking 100% with what you've been doing on your own? Oh, I'm very interested in getting with a traditional publisher. Um, I want to be the next David Weber basically. <laughs> and I'm not going to get the readership um, being an indie. Uh, I mean, you, Howie's done it. I'm not sure how. Maybe I'll learn this year at Superstars. But um, I'm writing a novel right now for submission to them and have another idea for one um, to follow that if I, I'll get a sale. The great thing now, though, is when I submit, I don't have that desperation mm. That, that I did back in the day when that's the only way you get published was to send it to a publisher. And, you, you know, you'd wait and wait and wait. Now it's like, well, if they don't like it, I'll just put it out myself. Um, but there is something to that. I think really, um, as an author, I will get more readership if I have someone pushing the book. Um, but as far as, you know, making the money, I'm satisfied right now with what I'm doing. Yeah, you know... Um uh, Doug has a good point here. You know, I, I had a young lady who came up to me a couple of years ago at a convention, and she said, I've got this romance novel that has um, won some little awards and things like that. I've sent it to major publishers. Nobody liked it. Um, they all said that it was written in the wrong in the wrong era. It was about a, an English woman who falls in love with a Roman soldier back in 400 AD. They wanted her to move it up to uh, – having her fall in love with a French soldier in the 1800s or something. And, uh, and I said, just publish it yourself. And so she published it herself, and she came back to me um, a year later and said, I wanted to thank you. I was hoping that I might be able to make three or $400 a month and supplement my husband's income, and I've been making four and $5,000 a month, and I'm now making more money than he is wow. uh, just off of one book. See, and, and in this particular case, self-publishing is much more exciting and, um, and, and, a, and a better venue, quite frankly, for a romance novel. Science fiction publishing, 
uh, and fantasy is probably kind of a little bit split, you know, whether you should be going with a major publisher. But I think in certain genres, we can look at this and say, yeah, there's there's some real advantages. And and just because you're an indie doesn't mean that you're destined not to have a huge audience. There are people like Doug, who I think is building a, a great career. And, you know, he may never he may never have a publisher. I think he's going to have publishers kicking his door down here pretty quick. <laughs> but um, but he may never have one. And and ultimately, he may be glad that he never had one. <laughs> you know, he might be sitting here laughing all the way to the bank uh, five years from now. So we'll just <laughs> we'll just sit here and see what goes on with his career. But we, we do want to make sure that there's a, a, a voice of, of reason in here that just because we're quoting some of these examples doesn't mean that every indie author suddenly makes millions of dollars at it. That uh, Doug is an absolute anomaly, and he drives me nuts because I keep trying to figure out what he did, and nobody can quite figure out what he did. Uh, this The romance writer that, that uh, Dave is talking about, if you publish a romance – doesn't mean that it's going to sell. We we publish some romances and and have sold like dozens of copies of them. Uh, so so something and Hugh Howie is an, an incredibly successful person and he's managed to hit just the right thing. But I think you'll find they'll have a lot of advice on things to do and they're doing a lot of things that traditional publishers aren't. That they're mobilizing social media. They're using things like BookBub and and other promotional tools and Goodreads and things effectively, whereas the the oil tanker-sized big publishers that can't turn faster than a three-month radius, they don't quite take advantage of all these things, but uh, it's the same thing when Harry Potter was a big success. A lot of writers said, oh, I'm going to write young adult fantasy and I'll make as much money as Harry Potter. Well, that that doesn't happen. It, it's really an anomaly. But Doug and Hugh Howie and the romance writer Dave was talking about, and there's a lot of examples, you can really make it big. But even if you don't make it big as an indie writer, you can still make it decent. We've had a lot of our books at Wordfire make a reasonable amount of money, so the authors are quite happy. They're making more than if you give it two or three years, you'll make more cumulatively than you ever would have been paid up front from a regular publisher. So yeah, the the average book I recently heard I, I heard that ten thousand books per day are being released on eBooks globally, and of those books, ninety percent of them will never make five hundred dollars over the lifetime of the of the book. Now that's that's the figure that they're giving. The question is, what's the lifetime of an ebook? It's as long as you want it. I mean, you put it up forever and you just keep on learning. I think there's ways as an indie author to take advantage of this. For example, if you put a book up and let's say that you get over the course of a couple of years 500 sales, at least you're going to have 500 opinions from people that might help you learn to be a better writer for your next book. Um, and and so you can look at the critiques and the evaluations that people give you, and that could be helpful. But it also helps you build a career. Both Hugh Howey and Doug Dandridge have something in common. Both of them released successful – well, they, they've released successful series, but they, they had a couple of books that went before. Hugh Howey, I think, said that he had like eight books that he had put out before his, his uh, series Wool took off huge. 
Um, and so he had built up a nice little bit of a readership, and that was just enough to give him a push uh, and to give him a platform so that he could go big with it. And I think that's what most what I'm seeing happening over and over again with people. Well, I mean, that's, and you that's, have time. As, as, a, as an indie author, you have time, and you can take a couple of years to do it, whereas the big publishers have – it's very much like blockbuster Hollywood movie things. If you don't make it on your opening weekend, you're dead. And for indie, if it takes you two years, it takes you two years. That's fine. Um, and that's, that's an interesting comparison because you, the author, want your book to stick around for years. You don't want to have all your sales in one weekend and then stop. So you have a flexibility and a longevity when you publish as an indie author. I've got my, my Dan Shamble Zombie PI series right now with Kensington, we just released book number four, and they're all grumbling and grousing that it that it didn't take off and hit the New York Times list on book number one or number two. And I've talked to all of my urban fantasy author friends, and Jim Butcher took eight books to hit the bestseller list. Sherilyn Kenyon took seven books, and uh, let's see, Charlene Harris was like seven books. And publishers don't want to give you the time anymore to build up that momentum. It's the, if you aren't running the finish line right out of the gate, then they'll just drop you and look for somebody else. And as an indie author, you don't have to worry about that. You can, you can stick with it for years. Yeah, there's so many books that are published. There's so many self-published books that are out there. But, um, we, you know, I've been on, you know, the panels at Superstars Writing Seminars. So for those who don't know, Superstars Writing Seminars is organized by Kevin J. Anderson and his wife, Rebecca Mesta. And he's had David Farland as one of the primary faculty, uh, in addition to Brandon Sanderson, Eric Flint. Uh, now James uh, Artemis Owen is, is on there as well. And you have a lot of guests each year, like different people that come in every year. And it's a seminar about the business of publishing. So you go and you spend, is it like three days now? It's three days. It's three days. And uh, these guys sit there and they tell you, you know, how to, how to, how to get there, right? And, they, and they've all gotten there. Um, so it's a, it's a business-focused sort of thing. But, um, you know, Kevin, you know, obviously you had me on some of the panels on e-publishing back in 2011, 2012, 2013, if I'm not mistaken. And um, one of the points I think I made the first year, 2011, in, in, uh, in Salt Lake was um, we have these people we call outliers, you know, like Amanda Hawkins and, and Hugh Howies and those kind of people. And, but, but we just keep getting more and more of the, of the outliers. And what you find after a while is that the outliers are actually doing the writing good books. They're, you know, they're releasing good books with good covers and good marketing. And they're, they're studying the business and they're putting a lot into it and they're, re they're releasing a lot of product. They're smart about doing promotions. And so what Doug has done, which is obviously has taken quite a while, but, but the, indie, the indie experience that Doug has had um, happened not just because he's, he's lucky, it's because he's smart. You know, he's, he's done what he needed to do. And most people in any profession don't do what they need to do. Most people don't do the right stuff. Uh, and so you get those 90, 99%, whatever the number is of people who are just not getting anywhere. But if you're someone who wants to be smart about it, there's a, there is a great opportunity there. You know? And I've, that's what I've been saying since the beginning. <laughs> I think, I think uh, that's true. Uh, but that's, that's how it is, right? So Yeah. Yeah, the, the truth is that um, I, I don't recall ever seeing an author who made a million dollars on a self-published uh, fiction novel until Amanda Hawking did it in December two years ago. Uh, and she made $2 million in one month. And 
I watched her as she was leading up to that. She was doing all the things right. She was going on to, uh, first off, she started off by uh, going on to blogs, being guests on blogs. She was putting out press releases uh, every couple of months saying, look how huge my audience is and making people curious, okay, so that there were newspaper articles coming out about her and things like that. And finally, when she got up to that point where she just kind of reached that tipping point just before Christmas, everybody went out and bought her book on Christmas Day and made her probably a million dollars just on Christmas Day. Um, Amazing stuff can happen that had never happened before. And that's the cool thing about this this indie thing is that uh, there is a new pathway. And if you're a if you're a good writer, if you're smart about the business, if you have a good eye for covers, and you can do certain things, um, you can you can go huge. I've got a neighbor around the street that took one of my writing workshops here just you know two years ago, and uh, she's currently listed I think up on number six as uh, one of the best selling romance writers. I, I keep seeing her up on the top of the uh, Amazon.com bestseller list lately. And she just keeps doing it right. You know, she's she's putting out short novellas, romance novellas, and selling the heck out of them. Um, and, uh, and I just love seeing people take off and do that. And there's so many people that are kind of constricted, right? They don't think that they can. They, they're, they're in this mindset, you know, that has to be traditional. It's just opening your mind can really benefit you. Yeah, exactly. All right, let me raise my – oh, sorry, Kevin. Go ahead. I was to say you're – as a self-publisher and indie author, you are effectively an entrepreneur starting a new business. You have to do all of the legwork. You have to do all the promotion. You have to get your customers. You have to get your publicity. And not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur, and a lot of entrepreneurs fail. And that's exactly the situation you're looking at. Do you want to – if you just want to sit in a cabin somewhere and write books, then indie publishing is probably not for you because there's so much else that you have to do. It's exhausting to just keep up with, um, and the patterns change. What was true for Doug when he started out way back when, a couple of years ago with his, with his e-books, it, it used to be that if you put your stuff at 99 cents, lots of people grabbed it, so then that was the key price point. But then so much, so many people started putting up so much crap at ninety nine cents that everybody thought, well, if it's ninety nine cents, it's not worth anything. So two ninety nine is the right price point. And these things change every couple of months. And if you're not paying mm-hmm. attention, you'll let you'll be left in the dust. Yeah. And again, Doug, have you seen any changes over the last year? Like, what have you noticed in indie publishing? Um, <clears throat> as Kevin was saying when I first started off. 99 cents was the price point. And then it kind of got to where uh, 99 cents was um, a, a indicator that the book wasn't worth anything. And I've been able to raise my prices since then. Now, now I'm selling books for 4.99. I still think I'm competing against people that are selling them for more, and I can't price them more than that. But I'm selling really well. Um, I've also noticed, um, I, I know several other indie authors who are doing better than I am. Um, but there are a lot that aren't. Um, I don't think that has changed, and I think one of the biggest things, I used to read a lot of um, independent authors I'd never heard of, just just to pick them up. And I'd read these books, and about halfway through, I'd think, you know, I don't think this person has ever read a science fiction or fantasy book 
<laughs> in their life because everything was TV and movie tropes and the science was really bad in the science fiction and you still have a lot of that but I think the, uh, the, the quality works are rising to the top I know some people that um, are man I don't, I don't even know how they're getting the reviews they're getting the number of reviews um, but exactly. the books that are well reviewed are selling yeah, unfortunately, there are people who go out and trade reviews, they buy reviews, they use mm-hmm. sock puppets to create their own fake reviews. And so it's coming to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm a bit suspicious unless somebody that I personally know has reviewed the book and told me that it's good. And 50% of the people on Facebook say that the key for, for them is that somebody that they know recommends a book and then they'll go buy it. And I think that's a big thing, getting somebody you know to read the book. And, of course, that just requires you to, to build an audience slowly the way that, that uh, Doug has been doing or, you know, uh, this kind of thing. Um, yeah, but, but eventually the good works do rise to the top. And, right. and Doug, Doug, you noticed you said around 50 reviews is when you started. And I, I saw the same thing. I saw yeah. it at, at 50 on my first, my first book and my, at, at 100, I noticed like another kick. Kind of in that area. Like I noticed a lot, right. of, a lot more just automated Amazon selling your book for you kind of stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. what, what yeah. happens is the books get uh, good reviews and Amazon and Goodreads and places like that will then begin promoting the book for you. And, and all of a sudden you get a nice mm-hmm. little boost. Well, guys, I do want to be uh, sensitive to time. We've been going for 40 minutes here, but I, I, I wanted to ask one, uh, at least make sure we get this one more question in, which is, how do you advise folks who are listening and are just finishing uh, their first few books or they're trying to decide how to go about this? Uh, besides, obviously, coming to the Superstars Writing Seminars I, I, and submitting <laughs> to Writers of the Future. David, I know, I know. But uh, <laughs> what, what would you do today? If you were starting today, especially for David and Kevin, what would you do? I would buy the NaNoWriMo story bundle of all these books that are going. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one thing you didn't like. Well, actually, the, the, the story bundle does cover a whole bunch of different different aspects of the business, but... You know, a lot of people ask me that, and and I'm afraid I just have to sort of shrug and put my hands up because it used to be everybody sort of followed the same path. That when Dave and I were starting out, um, way back after the printing press was invented, you were supposed to write short stories and make your name in the science fiction magazines, and then um, eventually you'd get an agent, and then you would sell your book. Uh, I don't really know what to do with short stories anymore. I, I published them in anthologies and things, but um, that's not really the way. You can write your own book and indie publish it, and if you sell enough copies of that that, publish, that New York publishers take notice, then they might offer you a contract, but then you're in a catch-22 because if you're Amanda Hawking and you're making millions of dollars on your own books, then what's your incentive to go with a New York publisher? But she has, and so did Hugh Howie. So there is something of the grass is always greener for almost everybody because, I mean, I'm sitting back here thinking if I was making Amanda Hawking million dollars on Christmas Day, I'm not sure I would want to go back to old publishing. But she obviously found advantages to that. Um, Hugh Howie sold his print rights to, uh, uh, I think it was Simon Schuster. Uh, so there's a prestige level in traditional publishing, that if you have your own book that says uh, Bantam Books on the Spine, 
there's some kind of a cachet to it. If your book says um, uh, Doug Dandridge Press on the side of it, then it's not <laughs> the same. They, they know that you published it yourself, and there's this stigma of if you publish it yourself, it must be because nobody else wanted it. And, and I have – okay, here's, here's the one thing that I'll really emphasize. If you are going to publish it yourself, you still have to do the work. You still have to get it edited. You still have to get it proofed. You can't do a bargain basement, look, mom, I made my own book kind of project. It has to be professional quality. Otherwise, people will spot that from the first page. And you have to do as much work and make it as good, if not better, as if a New York publisher published it because they have editors, they have copy editors, they have proofreaders, they have cover designers. If you think you can do all that yourself, well, maybe you can, but then you're a, a renaissance person. Yeah, I think Kevin's exactly right. Uh, there is no right answer to this anymore uh, because I may tell you an answer, but it's not necessarily the right answer for you. I think if you've got a strong concept for your novel, that it's original and people like the basic idea, if the story holds up, if every single, you know, if you've got a great opening and, and uh, the middle becomes uh, more and more intriguing and interesting and, and drives the reader along and then you've got a good surprising conclusion, if the story holds up, that's great. If your writing is at a level where stylistically uh, your tone, your voice, your characters, your, your narration are all great, then at that point, I'd look at it and say, okay, can I make more money going to the big presses or can I do it myself? And I don't know the answer to that anymore. Um, I, I love the idea of taking a book out and trying to go big with it. Say, okay, go get yourself an agent. Go get yourself a publisher. And yet I know that five years, ten years down the line, you may be kicking yourself and saying, I should have, I should have gone with indie publishing and and that's the big thing, uh, you know. Right now, you cannot. Nobody can answer that question for you. If they think they can answer that question for you, run because that person is wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I know this business about as well as I think uh, anybody could, and I I'm, I probably feel like I know about judging stories as well as anybody can. And even I can't tell you what to do with a great story. If you've got a great story, it may be worth more money to go out and self-publish. But a lot of that takes a gut check on your part and says, am I the kind of person who is an entrepreneur, who can, who can basically run a global business? And let's, let's, re, let's remember that this is a global business. Doug Dandridge has hit you know, number one in the UK. Uh, he's, he's immensely popular over there. And and that's probably going to continue. And uh, and I I happened to I found out recently that I was told I was the number one bestseller in South Africa with my Rune Lord series. And I'm like, okay, I had no clue. Uh, <laughs> but I'm getting all of these bad letters from Africa all of a sudden. But but realize that this is a big global business. And you know, if you're trying to run it yourself, you may not be the kind of person who wants to to go for all of that that headache and heartache and stuff. Um, on the other hand, it may be the key to your success. So I don't think anybody can tell you exactly what to do here. All I can say is from my own experience, um, to keep trying. You know, don't, don't give up if your first one fails. Um, you know, I think Kevin 
day we're both talking about people that took seven, eight books before they actually hit bestseller lists. Um, you know, put it out there. But also, I'd say make sure it's a good book before you put it out there. Um, I've been reading too many examples lately of people that just um, – it's like they, they, didn't, they don't know anything about grammar, spelling, where to put punctuation, mm. anything like that. And it kind of gets me – I only read people now that, I, that are recommended to me, as said earlier. I don't go buy books from people I've never heard of. And um, I say read as much as you can in the genre you're intending to write in. You, you need to know what's going on in that genre. Um, what are the conventions? Maybe not so you can follow them. You can break them eventually, but you need to know what they are. What's been done before, so you just don't do the same old thing over and over again. But again, it's, it's perseverance. You know, like I said, I've been writing 18 years. And um, really only selling books for the last two Right. So per- per- perseverance counts. Well, and Doug, you got to start talking in an English accent just to you know increase. Your... <laughs> That's uh, good marketing. About that is when people make comments about my grammar, which I get some reviews sometimes. I want to say, well, they like me in England, and they speak proper English. <laughs> <laughs> Moses, did you have any uh, final questions to wrap up here? Just a comment. I mean, I I think like things are harder, right? There, there's more competition. You have to do more. You got to figure out where you can do more. Are you going to write more books than anyone else? Are you going to write better books than anyone else? Are you going to, you know, I mean, you want to do as much as you can, obviously. I mean, ideally, we'd write, you know, we'd write as many books as we can. They'd all be great. We'd, we'd all have great promotion. Everything would be wonderful. Um, but uh, with indie publishing being a legit thing now, you got to kind of figure out where, where you want to go. And I, I like Dave's point about the gut check like it's you, you you really should trust your instincts at this point i mean trust your gut in some way um because you don't know what rationally what the best course is and something inside you probably has a sense of what the best thing is for you um and figure that out like i for example my second novel the ninth wind i could have released it this fall um and i and it was good enough for that i think it was getting there to be good enough and i had dave as my editor right? i've hired dave to be my editor and you know, it's like between him and my beta readers, I'm like, you know, I'm going to take another six months. I'm going to get this thing up to as high a level as I can get it. I'm going to line up as much good promotion the first month as I can, you know, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, the best, trying to write the best novel that I can. I don't know if that will work, right? But, um, but that's, that's, my, that's my approach. I think you have to find a way to try to take it to that next level uh, and do what's going to make the most sense for you. All right, guys, real quick, from each of you, what are you writing right now that's going to come out maybe next year? And are you going to be at any conventions or anything like that where people can see you guys? Kevin? Um, I just came back home last night from four days with Brian Herbert. We're brainstorming our next Dune novel called Navigators of Dune. So my my head is full of sand at the moment. Um, And I'm going to do, as far as conventions next year, I think all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it feels like I'll, I'll be at uh, Emerald City Comic Con and Dallas Comic Con and Comic Palooza and Houston and Denver Comic Con. And I just got invited to go for three weeks to Australia for Supernova, which is a big traveling pop culture convention. And we do Dragon Con every year. And, and Dave and I are, are both teaching at Writers of the Future next, I think it's April. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm going to be doing one or two conventions a month every single month for the whole rest of the year. And we have uh, Superstars Writing Seminar is February, I think, 5th through 7th in Colorado Springs. So it'll be our sixth one of those. Uh, they've all been, we've already got more signups this year than we've had 
uh, ever before, and we've still got three months to go. So awesome. Uh, Serious writers uh, might want to check that out. It's the business aspects rather than um, how to write a poem about your cats. And, and if you want to improve your craft, look at you know, Dave's site, davidfarland.com, right? And Dave offers lots of workshops. I've, I've gone back, and back to these many times because I always improve my work, my craft, and learn from Dave every time I go to these things. So I go over to St. George, Utah, you know, hang out with Dave and some other folks. And uh, that's, a, that's an absolutely great way to work on your craft if you want to, if you want to improve in that area too. Yeah, um, my next book is going to be the final book in the Rune Lord series. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, nearly done with that, and I'm going to finish that up in the next two months. Um, and uh, then I'm going to be, I think, my next scheduled convention, uh, aside from little writing workshops that I'm teaching and, and things like that, is uh, is going to be the Superstars Writer Seminar with Kevin J. Anderson, and so we'll be doing that. And I've got. A lot of things going on next year. It's it's getting filled really fast. I'll be teaching at writing and illustrating for young readers. I'll be teaching at the LDS Story Makers. Uh, I'll be teaching at I don't know three or four other places just off the top of my head. But um, uh, and then of course there's going to be the uh, comics conventions and things like that that I'll be appearing at too. I'll be at Gen Con uh, doing a seminar there next year too. I'm working on. The fourth novel of my Refuge series, which is a fantasy series, I call it Tom Clancy meets Lord of the Rings. Um, it's not as popular as my Exodus series, but it's got enough fans I thought I needed to continue it. So I'm working on that, and I'm only putting out a spinoff, um, three novellas in the Exodus series. And then next year, I'm starting off with a, a spinoff novel. I've gotten up to seven books in the Exodus series, and I really need to sit down and figure out where this thing's going. Um, have fans saying, when's the next <laughs> one coming out? Well, I really want to know where I'm going with it before I start it. Um, awesome. I will be going to Superstars again this year. Mm. I'll be presenting at Liberty Con, which ought to be a lot of fun. I'm actually planning to do a first ever book release party at Liberty Con. And um, from there, definitely Dragon Con again next year, but I just, I just go as an um, attendee. I don't really have enough uh, pull yet to get any kind of panels. Yeah, everything's going good. Oh, and uh, Kevin is putting out a book soon, I hope, um, Five by Five, Military Anthology, Military Science Fiction Anthology, and I'm in there, which I'm really excited about. Ah, Wordfire book, huh? Yes, oh, yeah. Wordfire. That will come out in about a week. Is that soon enough for you, Doug? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, it'll be featured. It'll be featured in the Bain Books newsletter in uh, mid mid November, and we should have everything, uh, all the print version and ebook version. It's called Five by Five, which is five military SF novellas by five military SF writers, uh, including Doug and I've got one in there. Michael A. Stackpole, uh, Sarah Hoyt, and uh, Danny and Aton Collin. Uh, that's our third volume of those, and it will be out in. In a couple of weeks, it's it's in its final stages of tweakings. You know, I didn't realize when I put this panel together today that I was such the outsider in the group. <laughs> All four of you are connected in some way, in writing and publishing. Who knows? Maybe I'll win Writers of the Future for my quarter four story. I hope so. That'd be great. The last one didn't even. I was like, oh, well, I yeah. The last one was fatally flawed. But anyway. Um, I, I really put a lot into this one, David. My whole soul went into this one. 
So <laughs> good. Just, well, I'll, I'll make sure to judge it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just tell, tell me the title. We'll. Uh... <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Of course not. If everyone, if you don't know, folks, it's blind judging. So um, no information is being exchanged. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, go ahead, Moses. Yeah, real quick, Kevin, are you um, accepting uh, submissions for Word for Wordfire for people that want to write for you? Um, not not really yet. We're we're still we know how to publish the book, so we've got a lot of titles out there. And my I don't really have the staff to do the developmental editing. So if you're not somebody who already has that um, worked out, it's a little harder for us to go for it. But I think maybe within the next year we'll be we'll be much more open. We're picking up some books that. Uh, we're developing along the way, and if if we actually start making money at this, then I can hire more editors and we can get more stuff done. So uh, keep our fingers crossed and and see what's happening. So far, it's it's taking off very well, and I'm very happy about it. And I I just uh, hope it keeps going because I love publishing as much as I love writing. So I get to double my work now. Excellent. Of course, we'll put links in the show notes uh, for all the, your guys' websites. And folks, please do uh, check out books by these guys. Get that uh, bundle through storybundle.com. Go buy Doug's books on Amazon. Uh, it's all good stuff. Great stuff. Uh, gentlemen, really appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventures in sci-fi publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. <laughs>